it, it's funny. <laughs> Those of you that have not yet graduated, I hope I did not jinx you. So good luck tonight, Barnabas. There you go. <laughs> but today, as we go through verse by verse, word by word through the Word of God, today we hit the subject of integrity. And the reason why I showed that little clip there is not only because it's graduation season, but that's literally what integrity means. Integrity means staying true to your walk. Integrity means not stumbling. It means not falling. It means staying consistent. It's walking without tripping. And see, today is going to be a serious message. It's not very lighthearted. It is very personal. It is very in-your-face. It is going to be very challenging. Because every one of us needs to reevaluate our integrity and what we do. Because every person in here has an integrity issue. We all do. Sometimes it's small little things, right? We, we said we would call somebody back and we didn't. Or we promised we would do something, but you know what? Our sister-in-law is annoying. Let's just forget about that, right? And we make these little commitments or we inadvertently do things. But others of us, <coughs> there's some big issues that take place. Students, young people, so much of your problems later on in your life will be created because of the issues and the decisions you make as a teenager. No one starts heroin at 60. But nobody also thinks that they are laying the groundwork to destroy their marriage when they're 16. Every person in here has an integrity issue. It's just different degrees of it. So maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor, what's the big deal? Why is integrity is so important? Well, if you're taking notes, I want to start with two things why integrity is important. Number one, integrity is important because God blesses blessable behavior. In every English Nazi, I understand it's not a real word, okay? I kind of made it up. But God blesses blessable behavior. If you want God to bless you, it starts first with your behavior. What I mean by that is every parent knows this. If, if you've got a child who does everything right, never late for curfew, does their schoolwork, tries really hard, you will bend over backwards to bless that child. You want to get them a car, you want to help them, you want to take care of that child the best possibly can. Well, inadvertently, there's always that other child, right? The Jim Merrill. There's always that other child. Please tell them I said that. There's always that other child that is constantly pushing against the rules, constantly, and you have to be at school to talk about them. Listen, young people, I'm gonna tell you something. Every good parent knows this. You're gonna do the most you can for that child who's following the rules, who you wanna help out. But that child who's constantly pushing back, constantly, the law says all I need to do for you is to feed you, house you, and clothe you. And after that, you can walk to school on your own. I don't need to provide you a car, right? If a parent knows that, and if a parent parents that way, a good parent parents that way, what do you think God does? You find yourself feeling like, I feel like God doesn't bless me, like I'm missing out on something. And by the way, just a little side note, if you think the blessings of God are financial, you have fallen for the lies of the TV preacher. The blessings of God are, are family, they're relationships, it's peace during a crisis. That's the blessings of God. Say amen. Amen. You say, I feel like God is not blessing me and I'm missing out. Well, maybe, maybe you need to start evaluating your behavior because God blesses blessable behavior. And number two, our lives demonstrate our faith. Our lives demonstrate our faith. 
The great Irish evangelist, Gypsy Smith, used to always say, there's actually five Gospels. And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian life. And most people will never read the first four. We live a life, this is what we're really big for. Those of you in the 90s and churches, you know, Bible preaching churches, we were so good at condemning people. So good at creating standards about people who march and presidents who do things. We were so good about creating these standards. But then you would find out later the pastor who would preach against the president did the same thing as the president. The family and the person who had these high standards and these morals and these ethics, then it turned around that they didn't even live up to the ones that they were demanding you to live up to. And then we sort of wonder, we, we have these standards, but we don't act on them. And then we wonder why nobody wants what we have. Pastor, why don't people get saved? Why doesn't anybody want the gospel? Well, the gospel hasn't changed your character. The gospel hasn't changed you. There's no difference between you and the other person that lives down the street. What do you have that makes you want this? You see, your life is the only gospel most people will ever hear. Now, there's a subtle difference between character and integrity. You can go online and feel a whole different definition. This is mine, so it's obviously right. Um, the, the difference between character and integrity is character is what you believe. These are my standards. If you had to write out, I believe in truth, justice, the American way. I believe in being faithful in my life. I believe in not lying. I believe till death do us part. I believe all of these things. This is my character. Your integrity is how you act and apply it. There's a word for people who have high character but low integrity. The word we often use is hypocrite. Meaning you've got great standards and great ethical things written on paper. I mean, on paper, I want you to be my neighbor. On paper, I mean, you should date my daughter. On paper, you're, I mean, I want to go into business with you. I mean, on paper, I don't even need to sign a contract. On paper, what you say you are and how you act is amazing. But then when I find out here and spend time with you and do a business deal with you, or I find out how you dated that previous girlfriend or how you conducted yourself, I don't want anything to do with it. There's a disconnect, and the word we often use is hypocrite. Your character is great. I love your character. But the application sometimes falls drastically short. So I want to hit on something that's going on in our culture right now. And this is why I love going verse by verse, word by word through the word of God. Because when you do that, you will eventually hit on every topic. And it was kind of, I don't say cool, but it really worked out that this has been kind of in the topic what I'm talking about here today. And I want to take like a five, ten minute little commercial break outside of my message and address something. I do this, I do this probably once a year, and you were lucky enough to come to the service and I'm doing this again, okay? That's why many people are missing today. They knew this and didn't want to be convicted. No, no, no. We'll just say that to them. Oh, we've got something going on. No, no, no. All right. So I want to address the Me Too movement. Because at its core, it is an integrity issue. I understand that we have all these people who created this culture of just being physically intimate with ever, and there's no consequences, and now they're all like shocked when people are actually doing it. I understand, but throw this up here. I want to address this. This isn't in your notes. A Christian Me Too life. How does a Christian have a Me Too life? A life, when I mean that, a 
a life that fits into this whole movement that's going on in Vegas. All right, number one, these aren't in your notes. No one should touch a non-spouse. I realize I might have offended somebody with that for my simplicity, simplicity and this feels like a kindergarten issue where the kindergarten the te teacher would teach you the first thing, keep your hands to yourself. But let me just say this too, if you're not married to them, keep your hands to yourself. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I love that. It says, never look. That was awesome. If you're not married to someone, keep your hands to yourself. Amen? Pastor, that is just so simple. I mean, you couldn't have come up with any. I mean, what a sophomoric approach to this. If everyone did this, how different would our country be? I mean, we would, we would cut divorce probably by 90%. The entire Me Too movement would not happen. Because there would be no need for it. If everyone just kept their hands to themselves and did not touch somebody, and you don't understand what I'm saying by touch, I'm not saying when you shake hands, like, well, you're not my wife. No, don't be stupid. Don't say that. You're not supposed to say stupid. You're not supposed to say that. That's the S word in our lives. Little kids ruin their lives. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, keep your hands to yourself. Number two. Here's something I, I would really like every woman, especially our young girls, to hear, okay? Report all questionable and immoral behavior. Uh, tell somebody. Now, we were really good about 10, 15 years ago condemning the Catholic Church for how they did that whole priest and moving and hiding it. And, and you know what? They should have been condemned. What they did was wrong. Amen? Amen. But now it's kind of come home to roost in our story. There's a now former, and he was dismissed, leader of one of our seminaries. And uh, basically this is what happened. Some girls in a seminary over the course of 10, 15 years, some reported being treated inappropriately. Some then reported things like this guy tried to take advantage of me. He was inappropriate on a date. Others went, I mean, it just went down. Others, one young lady said that she felt she was raped. And his response was, well, let's not tell the police. We'll just deal with this in-house. If you're a teacher, if you're a leader, if you have any position in this church, you understand everything must be reported to the police. Everything must be reported to the police. Amen. Girls, especially those of you younger, maybe I'm wrong, it should include the older ones, but especially those of you younger, and you're going to go off to college, or if you're starting to date, you're in a situation. I hope, I hope you feel confident enough today that you could tell me. And I promise you this, if something's happened in your life and you came and told me, I can't promise you that person's going to jail. I can't even promise you something that's going to happen because I can't control it. But I can promise you this. I will do everything I can to report it, to stand by your side, and to help you go through this. Amen. Um, if you're here and you're thinking, well, Pastor, I know something about somebody, you know, a, a deacon in your church. I know something about a Sunday school teacher. I know something. 
What should I do with that? Tell me. If they're committing a crime, you don't have to tell me. Tell the police. Amen? Yeah. Tell the police. If it's not a crime and you think one of our leaders or our men or our ladies is involved in an affair or involved in a relationship they shouldn't be, please tell me. Now, the outcome might not be what you think should happen because I am limited, but I promise you this, I will take it serious. Can I tell you, Matt, I'm a pastor, young pastor, one month. We have an Awana program. A couple ladies come with me. One of them's a business woman. She says, a lady who's working in our Awana as a teacher is sharing information, details about her physical life. Somebody had turned Harvey Weinstein in before. How many other people would have gone through what they went through? Amen? Amen. And number three, what do I do? I create barriers. Um, I have rules. Many of you know my rules. Uh, I don't counsel ladies alone. If you want to talk with me, I got this important thing. Well, my wife will be there. And if you don't like my wife, that's fine. But if you don't like my wife, then uh, one of the deacons' wives will be there, or, or, or Mary, my secretary. I don't ride in cars alone with, with ladies and girls that I'm not married to. I don't show up to dinner. Like if I'm supposed to go to dinner with you and your husband, and I show up, I've had this happen. Oh, my husband can't be here. Oh, he's not going to be here. I'm like, well, good luck. And I, I just, I don't do that. I don't have private communications with females that I'm not married to. I don't hug people who are in my mother's age group. Now, I realize I just insulted somebody here, right? Because you're like, wait, he hugs me. I, I, 
got like 50 moms, okay, and stuff. But if you're in my mom's age group, I'll hug you and stuff. But if you're not in my mom's age group, I, there's people in here, unless you get saved or join the church or something horrible happens in your life, I don't hug you. Isn't that right, ladies? MC doesn't hug you. You don't, don't hug my wife, I don't hug your wife. Why? That's a barrier. Uh, I had uh, just this week something that happened, and I caught myself because I, I, I forgot my barrier, but I caught myself in fact. Uh, went to Pastor Gregory's funeral, and I saw all my old student members tune in for my youth ministry. It was really great. And I was like, oh, I want to talk to someone. I didn't get a chance to talk to them. I'm friends with them on Facebook. I was about to send this girl a message. In my mind, she's 15. I was like her dad. She's not 15 anymore. She's 35. And I have no business having private communications that don't involve my wife with a 35-year-old woman. He said, well, Pastor Steve, that's really big. I don't know of anybody who's ever had an affair that it involved, their wife was involved in every communication. I don't know anybody who had an affair that wasn't alone with an individual or didn't have some sort of relationship that started off private and then developed into what it is at. I create barriers in my life to keep me away from danger. Amen? Sir, let me just ask you this. When you're alone, by the way, you know another one of my rules? I don't travel alone. 
If I can help it, sometimes it's, you can't afford, you can't, you know, it has to happen. But if I can not do it, I don't travel alone. You say, why? Because I know I'm a sinner separated from God. I know I'm like the Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. And I want to have my wife there. It's amazing how well I can behave when my wife is there. <laughs> it, it's, it's an amazing thing. You get a, a Hispanic woman in your life. Some of you, that's your problem, right? You don't have a Mexican woman in your life because you mess up and they will kill you. <laughs> if I'm ever found with like 42 stab wounds in the back and Sandra knows it was suicide, just believe it. Okay? <laughs> I did something I shouldn't have done. But anyway. Are you willing to stand alone? Secondly, can you check off? Are there things in your life bigger than you? Can, can I just say, if, if, if here's a simple thing, I'm a preacher, so you know what I'm going to say. If Jesus is bigger than you, that would change so much. Because not, it will humble you, it will make you realize that you're a sinner. When you approach Jesus, you have to approach him. I'm a sinner. I'm a, I, I, I can't do anything that honors you without you, God. I just am a sinner who needs you. Is there something bigger than you? Is there something bigger? I, I hope I say this right. If I don't, I apologize. But is there something bigger in your life than five minutes of self-gratification? Whether it's getting high, whether it's an affair, or whether it's cheating somebody out of money. Is there something bigger than that little pleasure that you get from that short point? Next. Is your word unbreakable? Is your word unbreakable? A little girl went to her father and said, Daddy, do all fairy tales start with, I'm sure you're do all fairy tales start with once upon a time? And the dad said, no, sweetheart, not all fairy tales start with once upon a time. Many fairy tales start with, if elected, I promise. <laughs> Is your word unbreakable? You know what's amazing? Some of us, I, you need to ride around with a police officer for like a week. To give you a new perspective on some of the things they deal with, you might understand why that cop that pulled you over is in a bad mood. But one of the things I learned real quickly is about how many, how much lying is really going on in this world. I grew up in this puritanical home, leave it to beaver thing. When, when I was uh, helping a church in Illinois, uh, we were helping it get off its feet. Get on its feet, get off its feet. I was trying to bring it down. No, we were trying to help it get off its feet. No, Freudian slip that way. But anyway. Uh, I took a part-time job at Walmart to help out. And this blew me away. And what I did at Walmart, I got to be part of what they call asset protection. Basically, I caught people that were shoplifting. I got, I mean, I got employees fired. I got tons of them fired. I got the, the pharmacist fired, <coughs> a whole bunch of stuff like this. But the guy I worked with, he was better at picking the shoplifters. I was better at picking the employees who were crooks and people doing wrong things and stuff like that. He was amazing at it. So we're doing our normal job, and there's these little hidden earpieces. We're dressed normal because that's how they, I shouldn't be telling you this, but dressed normal and stuff. And I get the little code over my ear. He's like, okay, code 13, and that meant somebody's going to have to leave. And so I'm there, one of the managers there, and I'm like, you're wrong. It's this pregnant woman, and she's got that pregnant lady wobble, right? And that, that sweat, that pregnant, everybody says pregnant women glow. It's not glowing, it's sweat, right? <laughs> you add 60 pounds and a human life in front of you, you will sweat getting out of a chair, too. So, but she's got this pot. I'm like, dude, no, dude, this lady ain't a shoplifter. What are you doing? You're going to get us fired. I'm thinking, we're going to be on the news. You're going to harm this baby. Don't. And he was famous for tackling shoplifters. And I would always just go if they ran by me. All right, go. They told me not to touch you, so I didn't. I'm like, I'm like, man, dude, you're going to kill this baby. What do you think? What's going to happen? He 
watched her. She knew exactly what she did. We take her in the office and stuff, and she pulls out a ham. <laughs> she starts pulling out clothes. She had this whole little kind of system jerry-rigged under her maternity. And then we looked at the tape later. She walked in. By the way, they're always watching me at Walmart. <coughs> and, and, and she walked in like thin, 90 pounds, and she was trying to waddle out like Fat Albert and stuff. And I, I, I left that job realizing, don't trust anyone, <laughs> even pregnant women. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, 
Wherefore shall he be slain? Said Achilles. And Saul cast a javelin. If ever before Saul would cast a javelin at David, Saul cast a javelin to smite him to his own son. Whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined that his father would slay him. He's like, I understand from here. Verse 34. So Jonathan arose from the table with fierce anger. By the way, where did Jonathan learn to be angry? Where did this anger come from? It came from his father. And did eat no meat the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David. And every day I look at this. Look at these words, the authorized version I'm using. Look at this. This is, just, this is a horrible thing to be said about you. Because his father hath done him shame. Every day I underline that verse. Maybe put a note in your Bible and just say, not me. Not going to be me. Because his father hath done him shame. Every boy needs to be proud of his father. Every daughter needs to be able to look up to her daddy and say, that's a man of character and integrity. That's a man of standards. Every father needs to stand for something. Um, sometimes there's silly things. Uh, I hope I don't offend you with this, uh, but if you come to my house, you drive a foreign car, don't park in my driveway. Uh, you say, why? Because that was my dad's standard. My dad was like, you can't drive a foreign car. Everybody who works for GM say amen. Amen. There you go. You get your money from GM, you should be amen amen, right? But that was my dad's standard. You don't drive foreign cars if it's not... General Motors, Ford, Ford number one. General Motors, Ford, or Chrysler, or, or Jeep, or anything else, you don't own it. In fact, one of the, the guys who eventually married my sister and stuff, he showed up my, to take my sister out to date, and he showed up in one of those Fiat's and stuff, and my dad said, park it somewhere else, not in my driveway. And stuff. My, my grandpa was a teamster, shook Jimmy off his head, my other grandpa was a UAW man, and my dad was a, a journeyman union tool and die guy and stuff, and so we bled American cars. And there was a time when Sandra was like, we're kind of looking at cars now and stuff like that. And she was like, well, what about this one? I really like that one. And I looked at it and it was like Toyota. And then somebody in here is going to say, well, but Toyotas are more American. Like, Shut up. <laughs> don't want to hear that. I don't care. You know, they make 90% in, in Texas. And GM is more than made in Canada. You're an idiot. Be quiet. All right. <laughs> I don't care. You know why? Because I'm going to go to heaven one day, my father's already gone there, and the first thing he's going to say to me if I buy a Toyota is, you bought a what? <laughs> you drove a what? And I'm not going to risk it, because my dad had certain standards. Now, some of those were silly, but you know what other standards my dad had? One girl his whole life. One girl. I want to meet that standard. I want to be able to go, when I get to heaven, I want to see my God, and I want to see my dad, and I want my dad to say, good God. My dad worked sometimes 80 hours a week, but yet he always played ball with us as kids. My dad sometimes worked 80, 90 hours. He ran a tool and die shop in Warren. Sometimes he worked 80, 90 hours a week, but my father was always in church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and he was there Wednesday. Sometimes he came right from work if he had to. He sat right over about here at First Baptist of Washington. He slept just about every time Pastor Kid preached because he was not as dynamic as I am. But anyway, he was there and he made sure his kids were in church. I want to meet that standard that my father had. Every dad in here is setting a standard for your kids and your family. You say, well, my, my son's not listening. That's his responsibility. They get married and they move out of your house and they do what I mean, my daughter doesn't go to church anymore. Does she live in your house? Yes. Then she needs to come to your church or move out. <coughs> Listen, parents, I say this, this is just my own personal rant. Feel free to disagree. But I tell my kids all the time, my love is unconditional, but my money comes with strings attached. 
You want me to pay for your cell phone? You're going to be in church. You want me to pay for your car payments? You want me to help you in school? Well, this is what's going to happen. Nobody brings alcohol or drugs or a girlfriend or any boyfriend into my house. In fact, my daughter's getting married next year, January 7th, or June 7th. She posted that on Facebook. Next year, this day, I married my best friend. <laughs> Georgia. He's a lovely kid. But uh, I'll, I'll, you know what? Full disclosure. Matt's one of our deacons. He's awesome from Georgia. He's a great guy. And every time Thomas has come and he's lived in Maine, he's well, you let him stay in your house. No, I don't. He thinks my daughter's cute. He's the same house. I let him stay at Matt's house. Georgia Bulldog fans and they talk and stuff like that. He's a nice guy.
that certain people, when they die, they're going to meet Jesus, and they're going to be judged, and Jesus will say to them, well done. Jonathan's lived to hear that. What are you going to hear? And number three, Jonathan, what he did with his integrity, he walked his talk. Look at verse 40. And Jonathan gave his artillery to his lad and said, go carry them to the city. He takes off. And verse 41, as soon as the lad was gone, the coach was clear and stripped down. David rose out of the place toward the south and fell on his face to the ground. He's humbling himself and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept. One another until David is seated. They're, they're best friends. And Jonathan says to David, Go in peace. For as much as you have sworn over, I gave you my word in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between thy seed and thy seed forever. I will take care of your seed, you'll take care of my descendants. And he arose and departed. And by the way, you could also put, and they never saw each other again. He arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And just like to put notes in your Bible right next to verse 42, and I would encourage you to put one word, integrity. Jonathan said he would do something, and he backed it up, and he did it. See, what's the big deal about the little lies and little issues and little things? Okay, there's this verse in Galatians, the Apostle Paul writing this, and he wrote this, the people who understood agriculture more than us farming, right? We reap what we sow. Meaning little things like a seed, you put it into the ground, and you know, it could turn into a great oak tree, or it turns into a, a corn stalk, and you get something out of it. What you plant into the ground, eventually you will get back to you. And usually what you plant, you get more than what you planted back. See, that can be good, or that can be bad. This old school Southern Baptist preacher used to say this, and I thought it was awesome, and I always remember, I would always tell my young people this when I was a student pastor, and it's this quote, I love this quote. A lot of young people want to sow their wild oats, and when they are old, pray for a crop failure. <laughs> Think about it. They want to take those wild oats, and that's what, you know what, they're lying to you. This entire culture, you young people, are lying to you. They tell you, hey, you're only young once, you're only in college once, everybody experiments with a little weed, everybody gets drunk in college, I mean, just be physically intimate with all these other people. You follow everything you have, and at the end, you end up addicted. At the end, listen, at the end, you, you, you've been intimate with all these other people, and then you finally find the right one, you know, 27 and stuff, and then you get married, and then you wonder why it doesn't last, because there's a whole bunch of other people you shared this one special binding thing with, and you wonder why there's a lack of intimacy in your marriage. We sow our wild oats, and then we beg God for a crop failure. Jonathan has a son. And that son survived after Saul. And the reason was because of the integrity of his father. It saved his life. Jonathan right here in verse 42 is sowing something that the next generation will reap. Quite frankly, sir, what are your kids going to reap from you? Man, what addiction, what, what, what relationship experience are your kids taking away from you as their mom? Grandma, how you conduct yourself and with money and that, what's important in your life and what you value, what are you teaching the next generation? What lessons are they getting out of your life that they're going to take and they're going to walk away with? Jonathan walked his talk and it showed in his hands. See, 
it does seem like there's not enough Jonathans in this world. Quite frankly, it seems like you might be the only Jonathan, right? The only Jonathan at school, the only Jonathan at work, the only Jonathan there is. And, and you know, listen to me, your reflex yourself, eventually, eventually it catches up to you. Um, this last week and month, how many examples from Bill Cosby to Bill Clinton have we seen? It's a bad month to be called Bill, isn't it? But how many examples have we seen? Little things that were done in secret that nobody would know, and now the whole world knows, and there's disgrace, and for Mr. Cosby, apparently prison sentences, and Mr. Clinton, people like yelling at him at interviews and things like that. Everything that was done in a small little moment has now been revealed, and everyone sees it. I had a friend growing up, and uh, he was my brother's age, but we played sports and grew up in the neighborhood. And the thing about Jeff, it always amazed me. He's a good athlete, but the thing about Jeff, I just, I just stood there in awe. He was the greatest liar I ever met. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could look at himself. He would look at his mom, and, and could just flat out lie and not miss a beat. And he would do this thing. This is pre-cell phones, okay? So he'd have to be home at a certain time to play. But he would take his watch and turn it back like five, ten minutes because we didn't want to end the game. He's like, oh, and then he'd turn it back a little more, five minutes and stuff like that. And he would just go, well. He tells them, and apparently his parents believed all this because he would be like, well, see, I know I'm supposed to be home at 7, but see, my watch says it's 7 right now. And I was always amazed. I'm like, because I don't know, my mom and dad, they instilled guilt in me. I don't know, and shame, I don't know. Because, man, if I was doing something wrong and I had to look at my mom, I couldn't look at her and be like, oh. And my dad, he was like a human lie detector. I did something wrong. And you're not telling the truth, are you? <laughs> I'd like to see tomorrow. I know I heard you in some of this. Kill Bill. He was a golfer. My brother did. <laughs> but he was amazing at it. But you know what? That doesn't tell you his life story. It caught up. It caught up. Eventually, what you're doing is going to catch up. You reflect yourself. Some player would be walking by, and he'd say, you know, hey, you, and grab him. And they have to walk by our offices, you know, for coaching offices and stuff. And he'd bring him in, he'd sit him down, he'd fold his arms, and all he would do is look at them for like a minute and not say a word. These kids are all sweating on foot. And he'd just go, we know. <laughs> what do you know? What, what, what did I do? We know. Small, you're junior high. Listen, I just want to tell you, 
draw a picture of that. You sitting right there and looking at Jesus and saying, I know. I know what you're doing. Like, I know what you're thinking about doing. I know what you're allowing yourself to influence about doing. I know. How many days are you going to sit in face to face? And you're either going to get your well done by putting place for service. Thank you.